A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, a fellowship-trained physician and a private doctor to the innovators and game changers. Now, I came across Gabrielle's Instagram feed because people I follow kept sharing her posts, and that prompted me to follow her. And then after a while, I thought, this is someone I need to get on the podcast. I think this is the kind of expert that my most excellent listeners might like to hear from. And I wanted to dig into her expertise because she does extensive research, is up to date on all the clinical trials and has so much evidence to back up every single thing that she says. And we love that on this podcast, don't we listeners? And the topic she's spoken about or the thing that I've engaged with her the most about and I really wanted to share with you because it's something that really piqued my interest is when she talks about the way we're focusing on the wrong thing when it comes to health. As she says, there's a huge focus on fat and the fact that we have an obesity crisis or are over fat. But Gabrielle says that actually the biggest issue is that we're under muscled. So if you look at Gabrielle's Insta bio and see muscle-centric medicine, you'll know after listening to this episode why this is such a keen area of her research. If you've reached a point in your life where you're conscious of your health choices and how they may impact you down the line, then this episode really is for you. This isn't about being on a diet, eating less, being restrictive or achieving any kind of certain physique. This is about helping you eat smart, helping you to eat smart for your health. So during our conversation, Gabrielle and I discuss muscle is the organ of longevity, her experience of working in geriatrics and palliative care and how that has influenced how she practices medicine today, what it's like to be on the receiving end of criticism when making verified health claims on social media. I find this very interesting. You spend all the time in school, you do everything right, you quote from the clinical trials, you even do the research yourself and then someone says, I don't think so. We discuss that. She shares her feelings about the healthy at any size and the body positivity movements. We talk about midlife weight gain and why this is such a crucial time for your health. 
The biggest false narratives that are rife on the internet that she wishes she could make go away. Why so many people are calorie literate, but we need to become more mindful of macros, in particular protein. And there's a real deep dive into that. Whether diets can suit you or not, you know, I'm sure you've uh, heard people talk about certain types of diet and you thought, I know that if I did that, that just wouldn't suit me. Is that actually true or was that a little bit of a myth? Why she believes the evidence that shows that red meat and eggs aren't a risk for cardiovascular health and why she recommends them heartily to people. Whether it's possible to undo the sins of your past, read Eating Fast Food in Your Twenties. <laughs> spot the guilty blush on my face right now and so much more i'm going to be honest listeners she is such an incredible resource that she's she has so much knowledge that i have to throw my hands up and say that i didn't know enough about some of the things we talked about to be able to really come back and dig into a detailed discussion which is why i'm keen to have her back on the podcast to really explore some of what we discuss in more detail so if there's something in this conversation that you'd like to know more about perhaps there's uh, something that we didn't go into enough detail on that you would really like to dig into more then email me you know the email address it's the beauty podcast at gmail.com and then i'll ask her to come back on the show and we will revisit it you'll also hear i call her she's Gabrielle Lyon but because because I did French at school I kept calling her Gabrielle Leon so please I apologize for that that's just me being silly I was reading it rather than thinking it so all of the links to Gabrielle and everything we've discussed will be in the show notes but here she is I'm so pleased it's Gabrielle Lyon on Dr. Gabrielle Lyon on The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to the podcast Dr. Gabrielle Lyon how are you? I'm great. It's so nice to meet you. Truly a pleasure. I'm so I'm so thrilled to be chatting to you because you have a knowledge and a skill set that it's the kind of thing I could excavate all day long. If I lived in the same city as you, I would just be on your doorstep, knocking on your door the whole live long day. You're a fellowship trained physician. You're a private doctor too. And I quote the innovators and game changers. And the thing that I think first caught my attention when I looked at your Instagram bio was the fact that there are three pillars to your content in terms of you really want to share useful knowledge and it's nutrition, it's mindset, and it's science. And boy, do I like science. (laughs) Me too. Me too. You know, that was something that struck me when we were just talking is that there is so much noise in the space and it's a very noble cause to have the audacity to really try to sift through that and Mm -hmm. really feel an integrity to bring that out. So that's what you do. And I really appreciate that. Well, you made a good point there about the noise, because especially what we're going to be covering here, which is essentially diet and health, there is so much noise that is anecdotal, like, oh, this worked for my friend Susan, or I heard this. And you, you've you spent a lot of time in school. Like, you know your way inside out of a double-blind clinical trial, <laughs> and you know how to read the evidence-based. I mean, you, you really do know it, and you've got so much yeah. hands-on experience. And yet, people will come for your position, even though you're like, but here is the proof, <laughs> which yeah. is like, that must drive you nuts. Well, it's really interesting because yes, I have done 17 years of professional education. A foundation of that has been in nutritional sciences with a fellowship in one of the leading institutions in the world. And yet people will say, you know, oh, really, you that's that's not true. Or what you're saying isn't true. And you're, I can't believe you're a physician. And the list goes on it's a very interesting time where people consider themselves experts with no professional training Mm. that when I started, that was never 
that was never a thing. There was no, and even the world-class experts consider themselves well-read and don't even call themselves experts. Yep. Yeah, that even happens in things like beauty. I have friends who are very, very knowledgeable about skincare, but they're not dermatologists. So when it comes to being called an expert, they'll say, oh, no, 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 no. I haven't done any time in school. I've just got a lot of hands-on experience, but the two things are very different, right? They're very different. And it's an unusual time because what it truly takes to be in the arena, to learn the science, to sacrifice. I mean, we're talking about early early mornings, 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. mornings to very late nights. The amount of time, education, and sacrifice that actually goes into becoming an expert and and really becoming a good scientist is Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there is just a lot of noise in the space. And you don't find a lot of experts. You find a lot of people with very loud voices and you find very consistent narratives. And unfortunately, many of those narratives are not true. Even more unfortunate is that they are agenda driven. Yes. There's a bait and switch, isn't there? Don't do this, (laughs) do what I do. And Hey, it's only going to cost you $99 a month. So one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you because of your position is so for 20 years, I've been writing about health and beauty. So every time I get a new press release, I've done Dukan, I've done Weight Watchers, I've done all of the different diets and I've had moderate to quite good success with all of them but they're unsustainable and my light bulb moment as listeners will know is a few years ago I realized that basically the way that I ate was not uh it was never about hunger there was something else at play and there were body image issues Mm -hmm. and actually the kindest thing I've ever done to myself is stop beating myself up about what diet I should be on and actually sort of step back a little bit further And I think what you hopefully in this episode will be able to do is really, really help people understand it's not the diet that you're on, but it's why you should be eating the way that you should be eating for how you want to feel, not just the disconnect with how you look is not as important. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing you say is there are core fundamental science-based principles that if you understand, you can implement within your life. Mm -hmm. And it's not a diet cycle and it's not a yo-yo experience, but truly is, okay, so I understand that protein is going to feed skeletal muscle. I understand that skeletal muscle is an organ. Yes, it is. It is the organ of longevity and why that's important and why really prioritizing protein will improve my mood, will allow me to be satiated, will improve my body composition, will help me age, all of these subsequent things. And, you know, it's interesting, certain aspects of science are non-negotiable. And I'm going to give you an example, right? The forever difficult to die narrative is this conversation between animal and plant-based protein. It is exhausting. It is annoying. And you hear people say, well, we should eat less red meat and you should eat less protein because it is bad for the planet. It is bad for the bone. It is bad for insert your concern here. Mm -hmm. And you should switch to plant-based proteins because they are equal. It is better for the planet. It is the same. Well, actually animal-based proteins and plant-based proteins are different. The quality is different. 
we define this based on the amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. These are non-negotiable, hard, fast numbers. And I'll give you an example. People eat a lot of quinoa and they say, well, quinoa has protein. Okay. Well, there are many forms of the overall protein and protein is made up of multiple amino acids. Those amino acids are different in each thing, in each substance that you eat. For example, six cups of quinoa would equal the same amino acid profile roughly that a three ounce, four ounce chicken breast would, would be right. And these are, this is interesting. So if I post something like this, or we have a conversation about it all of a sudden, and never before seen, this becomes a very emotional conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's a moral and ethical one, isn't it? Because it becomes about eating animals. (laughs) I, I am not actually sure what it actually is about. So if, if that is at its fundamental problem, then we have to take that off the table. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to eat animals and you feel that there is a moral obligation for you not to do that, then there's, you cannot have a scientific conversation with a emotional or ethical opinion, right? Those two don't go together. It's one of the very few things that you can't have a, a rational conversation with science and emotion. Those two things don't fit. Mm-hmm. You can have an emotional conversation with another emotional person and you're probably not going to get anywhere. (laughs) And you can have a scientific conversation with a group of scientists and everyone can bring their, their quote facts or whatever it is. And whether it moves the needle in either direction, it's still not kind of an emotion-based thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yes. It just becomes, yeah, it becomes complicated. You put something up that is, you know, to be scientifically true. Six was uh, six pounds, six cups of quinoa, six cups cups of of quinoa. quinoa And so 1100 calories of quinoa to equal a three ounce chicken breast. And what, you know, we have to understand is if you care about health and you care about body composition and you care about aging, well, you must, must prioritize protein, Mm -hmm. dietary, high quality protein. This is a non-negotiable. Can you get away being more vegan or vegetarian-esque, you can. Can you do it without an incredible amount of intention and intelligence? You cannot. Interesting. So can it be done? It absolutely can be done. The body is incredibly flexible. There are ways in which you can thrive in many different capacities. That being said, if you are trying to optimize by consuming whole foods, And doing this being vegan or vegetarian, you will really struggle to get not only the high quality protein that you need, but the components that go along with high quality protein. For example, if you're eating red meat, then you're looking at creatine and carnitine, and there's all other aspects involved in this food matrix. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think I can sometimes get lost in the weeds. And I'm sure listeners might feel like that is that you start trying to understand things and you think, right, high protein. And then you start hearing about creatines and various other things and mTOR. And there are other things and you think, (laughs) I'm not a scientist. And then my head explodes because I haven't done 17 years of of schooling. But I think what uh, you've talked about that I really want to dig into that I find really interesting is the focus that we put on uh, basically obesity and how uh, I will be really honest with you, I have put one social media post up in the last six months that caused a, a really, it had, it had a very big response, shall we say, and it mm-hmm. included chat about obesity. 
And it's a very volatile and emotional and contentious topic. But what is you very say uh-huh. is it's kind of like, it's the wrong thing to be focusing on. We shouldn't be focusing on adipose tissue and an obesity problem. We need right. to be looking at, um, what is it? Skeletal muscle mass. Yeah. Because we're not over fat. We are under muscle. Because the people here are saying, uh, fat isn't healthy aren't it's kind of, I mean, whether that might, we can get into that. In a minute. And that's true. And that's true. Excess adipose tissue. We can all agree is not healthy. However, it is the equivalent by focusing on adipose tissue. I just want to take this analogy out there by focusing on adipose tissue. That's like being in an ocean, sitting in a boat with a bunch of holes, trying to get the water out of the boat. That's what focusing on adipose tissue is as opposed to focusing on skeletal muscle, which would actually be the boat. Right. Okay. Having a healthy boat. Adipose tissue comes after obesity comes after impaired skeletal muscle. All of these things that we're seeing, they're skeletal muscle problems. They're not obesity problems. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back to skeletal muscle in a second. <laughs> yeah. Cause I really want to talk about it. Cause basically we need to know how to get it, how to, cause it's, as you say, it's the, it's the organ of longevity, but you said there, we can all agree that, um, excess adipose tissue isn't healthy, but I would put it to you that there are a lot of people out there in the world <laughs> right say now saying that that's healthy at true. any size. Yeah. And I would say, does that make any logical sense? Well, based on what you have access to, I would say you would, you would say no, but and that's my personal belief based on my personal experience and the other things I've read. But I know that there are a lot of people who find that really offensive and shaming. But it's not shaming. When you think about, I mean, that's like saying you have pneumonia and that's offensive. Or you have a disease of the pancreas and now I'm offended. Right? The, the whole conversation is, is totally incorrect. Because ob- because adipose tissue and obesity is not particularly healthy, listen, can certain people have excess adipose tissue and their blood markers that we know and we measure can be within normal limits? Yes. So would that person be arguably healthy? Okay. By the definition of looking for disease at that point in time? Yes. Mm-hmm. However, what does the evidence show for individuals that have extra adiposity. We know that it creates low-grade inflammation. We know, and I did some, I did my fellowship research was in uh, aging longevity. It was in geriatrics. It was a combination of obesity medicine, geriatrics, and nutrition. And I imaged individuals' brains. And what we saw was the wider the waistline, the lower the brain volume. Mm. And if we argue that the way in which we tell an individual is healthy is just based on a snippet in time of their blood levels. What about their brain? Mm. What about the actual skeletal muscle? Is there fat infiltration within that tissue? There's many other questions that need to be asked and addressed. And when we are so myopic in thinking about these problems and answering the question, we miss everything. Mm. So yeah, go ahead. I just feel that this conversation that adipose tissue, that you can be overweight and still healthy. I think that that's a very limiting thought Mm -hmm. and that what it does allows for, it allows for people to offload responsibility or 
thinking about what is it that we need to do to improve body composition. And instead of being fat focused or even fat phobic, we have to be muscle centric. Yes. Okay. So let's get onto the muscles because this is what's really interesting to me. And one of the reasons why it really piqued my interest so much is because I'm in my forties. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are probably that age or nearing it. And you talked about, you've talked previously about midlife, the, the midlife weight gain and the impact that that can have on your quality of life as you get a lot older. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, well, I want to be doing, I want to be living my life in a way by whereby the quality of my life is as good as it can be. And I know that from reading and listening to you, a lot of that is about making sure that I have this skeletal muscle. So does that mean that I'm lifting weights? Is skeletal it muscle does. just it, like my pump? But it does. It does mean that you are lifting weights. It does mean that you are not domesticated. It does mean that you are doing more than yoga and Pilates. And it also means that you are forward thinking in the way that physical training, resistance training stimulates skeletal muscle in the way that it continues to help build muscle, which becomes more difficult as we age. The time to do it actually is in your thirties and forties, if not before that, mm -hmm. because the efficiency of skeletal muscle goes down as we age, the ability for skeletal muscle to sense and utilize protein diminishes. We have all seen our parents age and we've seen them get like skinnier and we've seen them become more sarcopenic. With sarcopenia comes other things like impaired glucose regulation, like, um, you're going to have to yeah. tell me what sarcopenia yeah, yeah. means. So you can't utilize your carbohydrates in the way that you used to because your metabolic currency, which is skeletal muscle becomes limited. Mm. The mitochondria, the energy powerhouses of the cell all diminish increase in fatigue, uh, poorer blood sugar regulation more insulin resistance, meaning your body is requiring more insulin to do the job that it did, you know, didn't have a problem doing before to be mm -hmm. able to manage, to manage and mitigate glucose. So if you are in your thirties and forties, the time to build skeletal muscle becomes non-negotiable. Like mm -hmm. you have to do it. And the way that you're going to do it is you are going to do resistance training and you are going to put in a substantial amount of effort right? Yeah. You're not yeah. going to be doing the 10 to 15 pound weights. Can you? Yes. If your volume is high enough, but the reality is the effort has to be there. Mm. And so I know a lot of people and I look, I've watched uh, pumping iron. So I know it takes a lot to get as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger, but a, lot of, yeah. but a lot of people do. Let's just address this. A lot of women especially have that fear that if they go and lift weights, they're going to suddenly get bulky. But I mean, it's not easy to build that it's impossible. <laughs> it is not easy. You have to pay a lot of attention to it. Um, not only do you have to pay a lot of attention to it, but you also have to pay attention to it nutritionally. Mm. As I had mentioned before, what happens is the efficiency of protein utilization in skeletal muscle goes down. When you think about the major ways to stimulate skeletal muscle, you have resistance exercise and you have dietary interventions. And that dietary intervention is largely high quality protein. Mm -hmm. high quality protein, meaning it has the correct ratio of essential amino acids, meaning those amino acids that you are required to get from an outside source, your body can't make it really. You have to prioritize protein after your training. 
because there's increase in blood flow, you are now able to overcome that decrease in efficiency. Okay. And what's so interesting is if you were to Google this or go on the internet, you would be very confused within two minutes. Everyone would be confused. Well, wait, mm-hmm. I thought too much protein was bad. Wait, I thought protein is killing my kidney or bad for the environment. And I would say none of these things are true. And in fact, the evidence does not support that protein is bad for the bone. Protein is actually necessary for bone. As far as protein in the environment, let's just get this on the record of saying, and just take this argument off the table. I can speak for the US. The majority of greenhouse gas from the US is 80% industry, electricity, and transportation. Mm. 80%. A very small amount, 9% is agriculture. Yeah. Although you see one meme that says that, you know, it's 90% of the. But that makes no sense. It's just not true. So what is the real story here? Let's confuse everybody and then sell product. Mm. But the reality is if you really want to be healthy and especially midlife, which is where people end up struggling a lot because there is a change in hormonal status that happens. We all experience that there's a decrease in testosterone, decrease in female hormones, all kinds of things happen. This is the time where you cannot afford confusion. This is not the time to do the next cleanse. Mm-hmm. This is not the time to decide you are going to go vegetarian. This is the time where if you have been vegetarian, that perhaps you consider either adding some kind of, um, you know, within your comfort zone of more protein, whether it's whey protein or eggs and fish, but you have to do it. And you have to understand that protein needs to be thought of as a meal amount. So Emma, if I'm like, how much protein did you have in a day? Maybe you could be like, oh, I had hundred grams of protein. But and what, I, and what I'll say to you is I want to get onto that in a minute. Yeah. You tell me, but the reality is I would say, okay, Emma, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I need to know how much protein you're optimizing per meal. If you really want to stimulate your muscle and you really want to maintain the health of your muscle, then we know you need to be having 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal per meal. I think this is where it gets, it begins to feel, and I'm sure there might be listeners nodding along. This is where it begins to feel inaccessible because how, how do I, I mean, I know what protein looks like. I think it looks like pulses. I think it looks like a bit of steak. I think it looks like chicken, but I don't know the gram value. And I guess we're all quite literate. I think most women are fairly literate in calories, but Mm -hmm. I don't think we're as literary uh, in the macros. That's actually a really good point. And I, I frankly haven't thought about that before. When I, in my clinic, when we talk about nutrition, you know, you're looking at five ounces, five to six ounces per meal, and maybe that's going to be in two meals. And then maybe one meal you'll have a shake, but that's, that's what that's looking at. And, Mm. you know, anywhere from three, depending on your age, three ounces up to could be seven ounces. Is it one gram of protein per pound of optimal weight? Yes. So the weight that you want to be or the weight that you should be? (laughs) The weight that you want to. Okay, that's a good question. So let's define that. An ideal body weight is different for everybody. Um, You know, I saw one of those posts that you had posted when you had put on quite a bit of weight. And then you're kind of before and after the question I would ask you is, so you're before weight. Have you ever talked about this? 
I'll talk about it now. <laughs> Your before weight, what was that? My before weight, well, okay, I'm going to have to put it into pounds. Um, so 2.2, I can calculate it. So it's Oh, it was, it was just, it was sub 200, just under 200. Okay. And then your ideal body weight or perhaps the, the body weight that you're at now would be? My, my ideal would always be 140. <laughs> I am not that okay. at the moment. So then for gram for protein, I could safely say 140 grams of protein would certainly be adequate. If not even more, it's more than adequate, but mm -hmm. it's a great place to start. People and women typically say, oh my gosh, that's so much. And I would say, okay, yes, it's a lot. But if we change the perspective, you have to get your calories from somewhere. Mm. Whether you get your calories from carbohydrates or fats, everything still requires calorie control. We still do require calorie control. If I could give one piece of advice to all your listeners, that would be, please know your protein goal. What is your protein goal? You have to get it. And then we can calculate how much per meal you would have. If people did this one thing, cravings would be reduced. Body weight, body composition would improve. They would, of course, if calories are controlled, lose body fat and maintain skeletal muscle. This has been so in the easy. scientific literature for three decades. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And yet, <laughs> this, this is only something that I've come to learn fairly recently. Three decades. This has literally been in the scientific literature for three decades as it relates to dietary protein, body composition, these things are, are very well established and well vetted. Mm -hmm. And so if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, uh, say 140 grams of protein a day, like, so say we're talking about that 140 pounds, say it's 40 for breakfast and 50 with lunch and 50 for supper, for example. Great. Great. Is that going to look like a bodybuilder? Is that going to look like, you know, Tupperware with half a chicken breast? And no. do you know, it can, it doesn't have to look like that is what I'm trying to get at. It doesn't. It can actually be incredibly easy. It depends on an individual's goal. You know, when you think about body weight regulation and metabolic correction. So if individuals have issues with blood sugar regulation, if individuals have issues with insulin or their triglycerides are off, a great place to start uniformly is a minimum of 30 grams of protein three times a day. That's super easy. That looks like roughly four ounces of 
chicken, of beef, of bison. It's a little higher when it comes to, to fish, or maybe it's a protein shake, Mm -hmm. super easy. And what does this do? Well, number one, it helps with maintaining hunger. Willpower can be augmented. You literally can augment your willpower by eating in a protein forward manner. And this is really important for, for women to understand that if they are emotional eaters, or if they suffer from any kind of eating disorder, really understanding that if you can augment the neurobiology and the neurochemicals of the brain to shut off that continual drive to feed, it's incredibly helpful. And this Mm -hmm. is one way, obviously in conjunction with a plan can be very helpful. Because I know that one of the things is that you can't really overdose, as it were, to use perhaps an inappropriate word on protein. But trust me, I've done some damage with some chicken liver parfait before. Have (laughs) you really? That's impressive. That is impressive. I always say that the true, you know, to truly tell if you're hungry is to just have that dry chicken breast. And be like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. You're not hungry. Well, that's a good point, actually. So if you're really hungry. You know, it'll be nine o'clock. I'm like, honey, I'm so hungry. He's like, well, I grilled a chicken breast there for you if you want. I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. I am <laughs> definitely not that hungry. Okay. Right. But if you show someone a bag of plantains, they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm starving. So there is a, um, a chicken breast protein threshold for sure. Mm, okay. I, 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 I'm going to put it to the test again. <laughs> Go with it. Go with it. I'm going to ask you about red meat as well, because yeah. uh, my family is uh, South Asian but genetically, and they are pre, particularly on the male side, they are predisposed to uh, cardiac issues. Great and question. So, yeah. So with, so my brother, he's five years older than me. He's fit as anything. He works out all the time, resistance training, martial arts, the lot, but he has to watch his red meat he, he sees a lipidologist I hope Gavin doesn't mind me saying this I'll ask him um and he's been told that's one of the things that he's got to be measured with because of his cholesterol so would this suit everybody <laughs> no <laughs> and in fact um they've taken out the dietary cholesterol guidelines so they no longer say that dietary cholesterol impacts blood level cholesterol and it's been taken out of the U.S. guidelines when a physician says you shouldn't be eating red meat because of your cholesterol, this is not a red meat issue. This is purely a overconsumption of calorie issue. So when calories are controlled and within the normal range, this is not an issue. That being said, is someone on a, who is on a very high fat diet and perhaps a hyper responder, then a high fat diet may not be suitable for your brother. That has nothing to do with red meat and nothing to do with protein. It is purely a fat and total calorie issue. Wow. Okay. I will pass that on and deconstruct <laughs> it's that. Just, it's, and again, it's this narrative of misinformation. I mean, is- this has literally been taken out of the guidelines. Dietary cholesterol is not, so for example, if I'm eating five eggs a day, that is not going to have any kind of long lasting substantial effect on my cholesterol. Cholesterol is a, like you said, a genetic inherent set point. So all of these foods that have been demonized 
it's some somewhere along the line though some science has been unearthed and then it has turned into a clickbait head headline and we know that sometimes these things can be found 30 years ago and the clickbait headline just gets regurgitated every year and this cholesterol people. narrative came from the days of ansel keys this was decades and decades and decades ago and in fact the data was so extrapolated and he'd thrown out all like like the, the all these different studies. He, it was, you know, during, I think it was like, I don't know. It was at the different islands that he was looking at. And he came up with this hypothesis that people shouldn't be eating foods that were high in cholesterol. None of this was real. Hmm. It wasn't real. Yeah. And so it's been taken out of the guidelines. Well, there's another one we talked about a second ago, right at the top of the show about these false narratives. So, I mean, that's just one. What are the other, what are the other big false narratives? I know you've already done your, if there's one thing listeners can take away, but you know, let's throw in a few more. What are other- Let's throw in a few more. I would encourage everyone to look at the annals of internal medicine. Just Google annals of internal medicine, red meat study, right? Um, Annals of internal medicine is one of the Super Bowls of research especially when it comes to medicine and really translatable science, you know, cause of course you've got cell and nature and not all that stuff is very translatable. So one scientist decided to do a series of studies with multiple other scientists. It was a huge team to actually look at, should we reduce our red meat consumption? Is red meat really increasing cancer risk? Is red meat really increasing cardiovascular risk? The whole nine, right? And he did the, you know, he put it through the, to the test. He was curious and they used a very strict system called the grade system. And this is one way in which they look at pharmaceuticals and it's, it's considered the gold standard. And the evidence shows that there was, that there was no indication that individuals should be cutting back on their current meat consumption. People went after this guy and tried to ruin his career as a scientist because of the findings that he published. So in science, you publish what you find, not what you want to find. Right. Right. Yeah. And this is a huge problem is that people want to believe that animal products are bad for us. It's simply not true. And the evidence has never shown it to be true. Mm Mm-hmm. So whether it's a narrative about cholesterol or it's a narrative about cancer, which by the way, has been evaluated and there is no connection between protein and cancer. This is not something that exists, right? This is again, all narrative based. They, they looked at the relative risks. They've, you know, analyzed these risk ratios and they haven't found anything clinically significant. And just to say clinical significance for listeners, I think, is it that if on that, on that particular scale, if you smoke, it's 12, exactly. if it's over two, it's a problem. Right. If it's under two, it's exactly. Uh, so it- these are risk ratios. Yes. Relative risk. So the relative risk of smoking and cancer, the way in which they define it is the number. If that number ends up being above two, it's considered there is a significant risk. Mm-hmm. So smoking and cancer, lung cancer, I want to be very you know, particular about is 12. That's a very high risk when they've looked at the studies about red meat and they've looked at the studies about protein, it's 1.1, 1.2, which is essentially insignificant. Okay. Can and that's we, just what's out there in the data. This is, this is the thing. It's like, why is the data so hard to get to? It's if you not, Google it, if you not, Google it. Right. 
because we have, for whatever reason, there's just a lot of agenda out there. And then to that point, you have a lot of people speaking who are not experts or who are not educated within the field, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that goes even as a physician, you know, as a physicians, physicians are not trained in nutrition, right? Yep. But there are physicians who are trained in nutrition and, you know, they're, there is some benefit there, right? They can provide good information or they've been doing research. There's, there's a, a whole reason as to why that's good. And then just a full spectrum of individuals that what ends up happening is cloud the landscape and then nobody knows what to do. And the reality is, is we don't have a very long window that is forgiving. After you hit 30, your window of forgiveness in terms of being and doing the wrong thing become smaller and smaller. Wow. But the data is out there. You just have to find people that you trust and are well-trained in the information. Mm. There are well-trained scientists who are honorable and have a lot of integrity. And then there are people that can translate data and share it with the world. Mm. And that's important to understand. And those are the same people to say, wow, we don't know this answer or, you know, they're flexible. There's a, an attribute of open-mindedness. It's like I did an episode a little while ago called Choose Your Gurus Wisely. And yeah, <laughs> what a I mean, great. you can imagine well, the kind I mean, of gurus great. I choose. I wanted to talk to you as well about something else, and it's about the kind of diet that suits. So for me, when I had, uh, when I was able to make my big shift, I really leaned into calories in, calories out. And because I didn't want to get into a cycle of restrictions, so it was like, as long as it fits my calories, and I stick to those calories, I'm going to be cool. But I also know that if my diet is heavy in certain things, I'm not going to feel as good. But what I feel good consuming might make someone else feel terrible and vice versa. So yes. what about someone who says, oh, if I eat meat, my, my digestion's really slow, or it just doesn't suit me? Or do you, do you get that a lot with people saying, oh, that just, that just doesn't suit me? But biologically, are we fundamentally digesting in a similar fashion? That is a really important point. And I will tell you, I have had patients that cannot digest red meat or really animal products, and they have a tick-borne illness called alpha-gal. Oh. Uh-huh. And they, it's a red meat allergy, quite frankly. That being said, um, hydrochloric acid, digestive enzymes, and capacity to digest proteins can decrease as you age. By adding in betaine HCL, you can improve these feelings. And the other thing that I would say is, I think it's really important to listen to the individual. I do have a handful of patients. It's so funny. My best friend included, she's like, I can't eat red meat. Um, you know, but it, it probably has something to do with her gut landscape. And of course the capacity to digest proteins can decrease as you age. However, that can be overcome simply by supplementation. I think you said something else very important is you talked about this idea that you didn't want to restrict and you found certain foods as long as it was in your calorie range um, appropriate, but didn't make you feel good. This shifts the conversation somewhat to nutrient density, which when we think about nutrient density, brings up a little bit of that weeds that you were talking about before, which is foods are above and beyond macros. And when you eat high quality nutrient dense foods, like the liver that you had mentioned, 
not only do you hit your macros, but you get a whole subsequent influx of nutrients, vitamins, and minerals that are needed for brain health, body health, overall energy processes and metabolism. Oh, liver. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> should have seen my face. Reminds me of being at school when there used to be liver and onion, which I haven't had for, for very many years. But they're, I mean, they're, it's, it's a great source of protein, but it's these amino acids, which um, am I getting it right? They're the building blocks of protein. Yeah. The amino acids and, you know, liver as an organ meat is really high in iron. It's just high in a lot of these nutrients and it's the density matters. So the density of food in terms of all the other qualities matter a lot. And I feel like I should say at this point, because for someone who's thinking red meat, liver, I, I just I don't feel comfortable. You have been a vegetarian. I have been a vegetarian for you. Did your homework? Yes, I did. I actually got really sick. I was vegetarian for many years and I was macrobiotic. Um, and I was training a lot and I got really sick. I got anemic. I had issues with my teeth and my hair. And it was actually very hard for me to transition to eating uh, any kind of animal-based food. And actually my first transition was a lot of chicken. And I felt really bad. I cried. I still remember I, just, I like cried. It was, it was very upsetting. Mm. And I felt remarkably better. And listen, this is not to say that being vegan or vegetarian is bad. It's not. It can be done. It just needs to be done very intentionally. And so I definitely don't recommend it for younger kids, right? Like that's not the right thing to do. Um, if you have, and I do, you know, I'm a mom of two very little children. And I think that that's really important that children are go, growing very rapidly. They do need iron. They do need nutrients. These nutrients are not nearly as bioavailable from plants as they are from animal products. And if we can set aside our narratives and just think about nutrient density and during the growth period, what is ideal for children? I think that's really important. One of the reasons why I was so keen to speak to you is this idea of future proofing. And I think I've talked to th about this a lot with uh, friends of mine, and we talk about the body positivity movement, for example, and body acceptance. And someone said recently, you don't see many women in their fifties talking about body positivity, do you? And it was a real light bulb moment. Wow, that's so true. That's so true. Isn't it? And I just yes, think it's that actually. thing of you reach yes. a certain age where you know that how you eat and how you exercise is going to impact and you are future-proofing and you're thinking about, well, you don't want to not be strong as you get older, you want to maintain right. it. And listeners will know, I've said previously, I mean, I sometimes look back with such regret that it took me to my forties to feel the way that I do. Cause I feel great now. And I think, well, if I've been eating in my twenties, like I do now, and I've been exercising in my twenties, like I do now, oh my goodness, but I've been unstoppable. So the last thing I want to do, uh, well, I, on that note, I would arguably say that you are unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very so, much. Well, yeah, I think I'm going to isolate that and turn that into my <laughs> ringtone. Um, <laughs> but I, what I, what I would hate to happen is for me to feel this, but it, for, for it to be a short-term thing and for me to begin to feel the decline. So I really want to, that's why I really want to engage with someone like you, because when you talk about, you have worked in palliative care, you've seen the impact yeah. of maybe not having that great diet. It's terrible. It's hor I'm telling you, cannot unsee it. It is, it is not something that I wish on anybody truly, which is why I spend so much time and so much energy talking about this. 
it is really because I'm fighting for the people in the middle and fighting for the people on the fence. When you have been at the bedside of multiple dying patients day after day, and you go back and you look at the social media push of, oh, you know, red meat is bad for you and don't eat too much protein. And, you know, these constant narratives, you think to yourself, man, if that's what's happening now, these people do not even have a chance. Right. Their survivability, their resilience, it is devastating for families because not only is it bad that you are incapacitating individuals, right? You're making them weak. You're not feeding their muscle. You're not thinking, you know, teaching them to future proof themselves, but you have to eat something. And people have a broccoli threshold where they then shift to carbohydrates. Mm. What then happens is it's not necessarily calorie controlled. People gain weight. The end point of metabolic disease is horrible when you, and I think a lot of people, if they haven't, they will begin to see people with Alzheimer's because of individuals having vascular disease or vascular dementia or, and, or metabolic disease, thus having metabolic dementia. That is outrageously heartbreaking, not just for the person, but for the families. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is, it destroys people. So That is why we have to future-proof and fight for the people in the middle by educating them and providing them with real information and actually shifting the conversation from being this fat-centric to muscle-centric, right? Fat-phobic to muscle-centric because then you actually can impact the trajectory of aging. And ultimately, it makes the world a better place because we can then all do what we are meant to do and we can all show up for ourselves and our families and society and our responsibilities in a much more gritty, resilient way. I think one of the things that I hear a lot actually with people who uh, want to make changes, but don't necessarily know how to, is they feel that any diet that they're going to start or any new way of eating, I should say that they're going to start means that they're going to now subtract enjoyment from their lives and that they might think, Oh, I just want to eat like everyone else. And you and I know, I mean, I know we both live in different cities, but we only have to walk out of our front door and down the street and there's adverts for fast food. And I guess it's ingrained in our minds that, that we should be able to have those. Right. It's a totally it's totally incorrect, right? I mean, we have domesticated ourselves into a corner, Mm. you know, and it's profound. And the implications of that, the unintended consequences of convenience are profound. Convenience. That's exactly, I remember, you know, Michelle Visage came on the podcast ages ago and she was talking about her diet when she was a kid. And it was like the concentrated uh, orange juice cans and the TV meals that went in the microwave. And everyone thought that was so amazing and convenient, but actually it set, it stopped us kind of um, nourishing ourselves. Yeah. We're very far removed from true nourishment. And that really goes across the board, not to even be esoteric, but we are far removed from true, from true nourishment as it relates to nutrition, as it relates to health, as it relates to communication and mind, all of it. Mm. And um, it's a very barren, it has the potential to be very barren in 
society out there right now. Yeah. And there's a component of reclaiming health, which does begin with good information, good science, solid information that can be implemented, that can cut through the confusion that can be heard from real experts and not, um, internet bloggers, which there's nothing wrong with that in terms of sharing information. I think it goes to show the actual need for it. Mm. Yeah. But you can, I'm very confusing. Yeah. And you can be a great cook, but it doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. you know what you do. Um, one thing I was going to ask you actually about, about the protein, because this is the thing that I keep coming back to again and again, it's like, okay, I want to get this protein into my diet. And I use an app and I was using an app for a long time to track my calories. And it gives me the function within that app to look at my macros. Yes. And what, I, and what app are you using, by the way? I'm using my fitness pal. Well, you know, there is a better app. Did you know that? I did not. Have you heard of chronometer? I have now. It is phenomenal. You know why it's phenomenal? Did you design it? <laughs> no, it's vetted. So the information there is vetted. It is very scientifically based and it's correct. So the, the, the margin of error is very, very small. And it shows all the other nutrients that we're talking about, not just the macros. Oh, it's phenomenal. I recommend it to all my patients. Okay. I'm going to download that immediately. But when I was going through recently, uh, going through the macro element, normally I just look at the, the you know, log the food, look at the calories. I was shocked at how it's, even though I feel as though I'm eating well and my weight has dropped, there is not a day where my protein was where it should have been. Really? What was your average protein intake? I think it was around 20% and it should have been more. I think it was so 20% is what is average, right? So that's enough. A 20% and this actually goes to something called the protein leverage hypothesis. Have you heard of that? Vaguely, but would you mind? Okay. This is, this is cool, right? So the protein leverage hypothesis, which is something that you essentially just proved is that left to a human's own way of eating or animal that they will eat roughly up to around 20%. They will continue to feed up to around 20% protein. And that something at that point kind of shuts off that drive to overfeed after that. Interesting. Uh -huh. it's, it's called protein leverage hypothesis. It's this draw. And one of the reasons that it has been uh, postulated that obesity has been on the rise is that because there is an underconsumption of protein, the human machine, the animal that is human will drive to feed, to get the amino acid requirement met oh, up to okay. roughly 20%. Um, I know that we're drawing to the end of our time together. There's a couple more questions I want to ask you. One of them is about intermittent fasting. That's something that's really worked for me because mm -hmm. previously I was a snacker and a grazer and then shifting to having a big break and then eating. Essentially, I have a large coffee and then I have two meals throughout the day. My digestive system likes that. I sleep better when I eat like that. My brain wants to snack all day and wants to constantly be grazing, but my body does not care for it. Okay. Well, number one, you've identified something that works well for you. Humans are bio-individual. I think that that works very well for many individuals, including myself and many of my patients. Essentially what you've done is you've restricted your feeding window. And by doing that, you've allowed for a period of digestive rest and you are constantly not feeding. And when you don't constantly feed, 
you allow for a, what we call um, gluconeogenesis to happen, right? So you allow for the body to generate its own glucose. You are not having ebbs and flows of blood sugar all the time because you've obviously increased your protein intake. For you, intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding works well and is something that I would say you should continue as long as you are training. Mm -hmm. And do you do fasted cardio like I do? So I'm not, so normally, yes, but I've been in a get back to building a lot of muscle zone. So I'm lifting really heavy, um, really heavy three days a week. And then another three days a week, not as heavy. So I'm not doing a ton of cardio right now. Oh, I see. But oh. yes. Otherwise I would do fasted cardio. Yes. You know what I'm, I'd say fasted cardio. What I mean is fasted working out. Oh Just, yeah. 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 I mean, I have, yes, I do faster working out. Can someone undo the sins of their nutritional past? So of from- course. Okay. Because in your twenties and thirties or twenties, you kind of eat whatever and your body, you don't realize until you get a little bit older that your body's done you a lot of favors along the way. Yeah. And suddenly it hits you, but can, can you kind of not reset, but can you move forward? And that doesn't have to be on your ledger. Yes. And the body is highly adaptable, which is incredible. And you can always improve the nutritional status. And that that's, what's so amazing. And, and that's also why it's so important to get stuff right. Mm. And what about okay. mindset? Because I know, again, that's one of the pillars and I'm yeah. sure listeners can probably tell we could talk for about three hours but with <laughs> mindset. I mean, you can give people the scientific information, you can show them the facts, but it's the application. What is the, how have you found is the best way to get people to be able to apply the logic and the science that you tell them. You have to plan for your weaknesses, just like the body positivity movement. People are always talking about this positive aspect and, you know, rah, rah, this is so great. That is a complete waste of time. You must plan for your inherent weaknesses and know them so intimately that they don't catch you by surprise because they're not surprising. Mm. Once you know where you fail, where, where you will decide to go off track, where you will decide you had a stressful day and you know, because you did it last time and the time before and the time before that you go for cookies at five o'clock or that three extra glasses of wine, because it's Friday and you're watching Netflix, whatever it is, it's predictable. You plan for it. You intervene, you put a new plan in place and you execute, execute, execute. But please do not be fooled by your own human nature. Don't be surprised by it. That's a luxury. That's such a good point, isn't it? We sort of complain about, oh yes, I'm on the sofa. I'm watching Netflix and I accidentally ate the Ben and Jerry's, but we had to go to the shop. Like surprise, surprise, no surprise. You know, you are not going to, you know, I never want to get up. Okay. I do not sleep a lot. I have two, like I said, very little children. I run a full concierge practice. I have a book in the works. I have a lot of things that I'm doing. Do you think when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m., I want to get up? No. So I plan for that. I mean, oh no, I just, I'm going to talk myself into sleeping 10 more minutes. No, I'm not. Because mm. I know that that's what I'm going to try to do. That's a good point. Oh so gosh. You have to know where you fail. You got to know where you fail. That's making Otherwise, me. You, you can't plan on succeeding if you don't know where you suck. 
I feel like that should be on a t-shirt <laughs> or definitely a mug. And I but know it that should, I- right? Like know where you suck it, know where it's going to happen. Yeah. Not surprising. Yep. And it's not a bad thing to focus on where your weaknesses are if it's in order to turn it into a strength. It's also the best thing that you can do mm. because those weakness exists, whether you decide to pay attention to them or not, they're there. They run in the background. It's insidious. It's much better to make friends with them than let them run you. Yes. Because you will never get to where you want to go if you negotiate with them. Okay. I know that I have to let you go because I know that you've got another meeting, but I'm sure listeners can hear that there's probably a hundred questions that are about to come out of my mouth. So maybe we can get you back on and we can really dig into mindset. Uh, I would in another love episode. to. I would love has, to. I'm so glad to have spoken to you and to have you on the show. I follow you and I think the way that you share information and all of your research is really fascinating. Please tell us about the book. Um, I will obviously put the links to your social media, your website, your YouTube, everything in the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like listeners to know before uh, we sign off? Um, I will be, well, number one, I also have a book club, which is if you are interested in mindset, that's really where we share myself and my partner. Um, We have created a book club called Freedom Reads and it's amazing. And it really is all about this mindset stuff. Okay. And then really, if you're interested in being a patient, you certainly can apply. And if you are a physician and you are looking for more training, you also can reach out to me. We will be offering physician training. Excellent. I will put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you. Gabriel, thank you so much for being on the I show. I loved meeting you. Emma. thank you so much for your time. Anytime. Come back soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode you have to answer a couple of questions but we cannot wait to see you there come over and join the conversation thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.